or to God's Word. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. The Apostle Paul wrote the following. He said, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. We thank you for calling us to be a part of your kingdom. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us, to save us. That we might be able to live in a right relationship with you and to live in a right relationship with one another. Lord, I ask that as your word is preached this morning, you would give us all ears to hear and hearts to really understand that you would fill our hearts with great joy. And that, Lord, as we think about Thanksgiving, as we look at how Paul expresses gratitude for this Corinthian church, Lord, that you would instruct us through it. You would equip us, Lord, to live out our lives, not just this week because it's Thanksgiving, but really to live out our lives, every breath, to our very last breath, being grateful people being able to see your mighty hand at work in all things, to really marvel at your grace as it's expressed, Lord, in our lives and in the lives of the people that we get to live life with in the context of the local church, our brothers and sisters. And so, Lord, help us fight grumbling and complaining. Help us fight gossip and slander. Help us to fight being bitter with being grateful grateful for you and all that you have given to us and all that you have promised for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I came across this phrase, it's called hedonic adaptation. Hedonic adaptation, What what it means is that we tend to adjust the level of happiness or prosperity we have, and then we grow to expect it not even notice it, and then want more of it. And so basically it boils down to this, is is, is we get something, we like it, and there's a lot of joy and a lot of happiness, and and then we adjust. We adjust our expectations, we get familiar with something. So instead of experiencing that great joy, that great thanksgiving, we just sort of grow too familiar with it, and then we just sort of expect these things to happen. A study showed that although lottery winners were extremely happy when they won, their happiness quickly evaporated. And after a while, their moods and sense of well-being were indistinguishable from what they had than before they had won that money. So that's an illustration of it. And so you'd be excited, right? If you just won $300 billion or $3 million or even $10, be happy. What? What they did is they studied these people, and they were were elated. 
changed their lives. But then when they got that money and they got to use that money, that, that joy and that thanksgiving, it, it quickly faded and they just kind of went back to life. Not being grateful, not being happy, just sort of expecting that this is the way life is supposed to be. Now, I haven't won the lottery. I don't think I've ever won the lottery. I think when I was 18, maybe even before that, before I was saved, one time I bought a lotto ticket and I was heading up from Manistee, Michigan to Gaylord, Michigan to go see Sarah because we weren't married at the time, obviously, and I was going to see her. So we bought a lot. I think I won $20 one time. That's the the gist of of what I can win. So I haven't experienced winning a bunch of money, but I, I do know what it's like when we think about hedonic adaptation. I think about my, my wedding day. That was a great day. Really good day. Really excited as we anticipated getting married. That was over 24 years ago. And so really excited. I was even in tears and sort of emotional about getting married, thinking about the rest of my life, but just lots of joy. But, but what I've experienced is that hedonic adaptation where sometimes I look back and, and that joy is not always present. 24 years is a lot of time, and I can begin to, at times, take my wife for granted. And I think about my kids being born. They were celebrating Anna Grace being here today. And it's exciting. But when I think about a baby being born, I have kids who are 22, 20, 18, and 17. That's a lot of life lived from there to where we at, and my daughter's just about to get married here this next week. And as I, as I think about all the joy I experienced when our kids were that little, and the tears, and, and the excitement, I, I also know what it's like to have this hedonic adaptation, where life is just lived, and, and the joy of that first moment of seeing their, their eyes open, and listening to them cry, and then just being amazed, like, for some reason, God thought I was in a good season where we, we should have a kid, It's just amazing at that point. But then as time goes on, we begin to take things for granted, don't we? And that same joy is not always there every day. In fact, some days there's a little bit of frustration. A lot of days there's a lot of frustration, especially as our kids get older. They walk through those teenage years and they begin to wrestle with things. And then as they get even older and they're trying to figure out, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And do I really believe these things that I've been taught my whole life? And how does it work out? And, and there's just a, a lot of other things that come in that can rob us of that joy. And so we begin to expect things. And instead of being grateful and overwhelmed with joy, we give in to this hedonic adaptation. Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever experienced in your life, what would you say that is in your life today? What was the thing that you were overwhelmed with joy for, but today as you look at it, it's kind of just old news. Like you just expect that thing to be there. Reality is it happens in our lives all the time. Whenever you get a new car, whether it was new to you or it was just brand new, there's a lot of joy in that, right? It's fun pulling out of the parking lot and just thinking, this is mine, talking to somebody the other day, and they were jumping in a brand new Ford, and they, they drive an older truck, and they were just wrestling through, I really want to get it. And the one thing that he said that I laughed at, he goes, there's air conditioning in the seats. It's just crazy. So if you're driving an older car, you, you, don't, you don't have that air. You might have heat, but you don't have AC in the seat. It comes out of the seats. And so he really wanted to buy that thing, but, but the reality is what happens. We've been learning this in Ecclesiastes. That thing gets old. And a better car comes out, a better truck comes out, and then eventually you just take it for granted. You have AC in your seats. You just expect that to work all the time. 
It happens when you go to a conference. I just got back from the pastor's conference. I realized that was my 20th pastor's conference that I've been to in Sovereign Grace. And so all those messages in those books, I, I sat through most of those messages, listening to CJ preach those messages. I've been to a lot of conferences. And as I was thinking about this message this week, I was just thinking, man, I remember going to my first conference, so excited. I get, Brandon gets to come. So this is the second time that he, that he came with us and, and kind of make fun of the new guys a little bit, where they just kind of like, they're, I can't, I guess I won't share it all, but they, they chase down people. There's Jeff Perswell. You know, we, we, we had fun with it, and he didn't go over the top like some other of my friends have at times. But I was that guy 20 years ago. When I go to the pastor's conference, it's like, I want to get a picture with this guy. I just want, to, I want this guy to know my name. I just want to be there and stand up and worship with, with all these people and just sing real loud when Bob Coughlin starts playing on those keys, and there's a lot of joy. But over the 20 years, there's been times where I was thinking, I don't even want to go to this thing. There's not that same sense of excitement. There's, there's this temptation we all face with things like that where new things are really exciting and then they just wear off. And we become ungrateful for these things at times. We just expect that these things are always going to be a part of our lives. Well, in our text this morning, God's going to help us fight that. He's going to help us fight that temptation to just give in to this ungrateful expectation for everything we have in life. And what we're going to learn is that since God is at work in his people, we have much to thank God for. We have much to thank God for. Now, we're going to explore this truth by taking a look at three points this morning. And I hope to end with us just breaking down and just giving thanks to God together as a church. So in our first point, we learn this. Give thanks to God for others. Give thanks, specifically give thanks to God for other people in your life. And I would say specifically your brothers and sisters in Christ. Or specifically those that God has called you to live life with in the local church. And so Paul here, if you notice, it's at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. And so he's continuing to open up his letter. He's continuing to greet the Corinthians by expressing his gratefulness to God for them. And he says this in verse 4. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Now, that's a pretty good opening, right? You're saying that's just the way Paul kind of opens up most of his letters. He just says, I'm Paul, this is who you are, and much grace and mercy and peace to you. And then there's this just, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. I thank God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. And so it seems like a formality. But what sets this Thanksgiving apart is that Paul is primarily writing, if you're familiar with the, the, the letter to the Corinthians, it's primarily corrective. He's, he's primarily speaking into that church and into their lives because there are significant issues in this church. There's a church that's really gifted and they're divided. They're divided by these gifts, they're divided by their arrogance, they're divided by their selfishness, and there's division in that church 
And so you would think if he's writing this letter, he, he just might jump right into it and just, and just begin to address these issues. But instead, he draws their attention to the grace of God that is at work in each one of them, and he thanks God for them. The Corinthians may have been arrogant and selfish, but what we see here is Paul was humble. We see that, that, that he's not just looking at this church from this level. He's not just paying attention to who these people are personally. He's, he's looking at it with a God-centered view. He's, he's looking at these people in this church and considering who they are in Christ. And understanding that, that God is at work in these people. The Corinthians grumbled and complained about Paul, even questioning his role as an apostle. But Paul thanked God for them. And he saw the grace of God active in their lives. The Corinthians thought primarily about themselves, but Paul was focused on the Lord and their good. See, the difference between Paul and the Corinthians, was that the Corinthians' lives sort of revolved around themselves. Now remember, this is a church. These, these aren't just pagans. These aren't just unbelievers. This is a local church that was just sort of operating in selfishness and pride, and, and there's, a, there's other good things going on, but they needed some help. And Paul could have said anything at the beginning of this letter, but instead he just draws attention to the grace of God in their lives. He could have been bitter and angry towards them because they were questioning his authority and apostleship, but instead he has nothing but love and affection for them. And part of that's going to be attributed to the grace of God in Paul's life, and, and he's viewing them not just at this horizontal level, but he, he's thinking about them with a God-centered view. And that's really important. So important, because we get to live life with other people. And if all we ever do is think about our relationships from this view, we're going to see a lot of problems. A lot of problems. But, but we need to learn from Paul here. He brings God into view. He's a God-centered view of the local church, a God-centered view of brothers and sisters in Christ. Because God is the one who's established this church, and God's the one who's at work in them. And Paul recognizes this. And it fills his heart with joy fills his heart with gratefulness. And the question for us to consider is, is why? Think about your own life for a moment. Do you like people who gossip and slander about you? Do you? Like, honest, honest to God truth in your own heart. Do you like it when people are mean to you? What is your response to them, especially if they're believers? And I know conflict happens sometimes, and we're not going to pretend like gossip doesn't exist in churches or even in our church it just happens we bump into one another and conflict happens and so the question is how do you respond in those moments do you, do you have this god-centered view in those moments that's why we're asking why why would paul respond with gratefulness to god for these people who were not very kind to him all the time who were in many ways making his life a little bit difficult well the answer is because paul sees the grace of god at work in the corinthians he sees and he knows that these are brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, they've been saved by faith alone in Christ alone. God acted upon their lives and, and his grace is present in them. They're God's people. The Corinthian church was established by the blood of Jesus. They had been redeemed and set apart as God's children through faith in Jesus Christ. God has shown 
them mercy by forgiving them of all their sins. And in every redeemed person, there is evidence of the grace of God. No matter how messed up and difficult they may be, this fills Paul's heart with gratitude to God for the Corinthians. Now, this says a lot about Paul and his own character. See, he's, he's not relating to the Corinthians on how they should be related to. He's not relating to them based upon what they really deserve or to be treated. He's relating to them based upon this good news of Jesus Christ, recognizing that God has loved him, and he doesn't get treated by God the way his own sins deserve to be treated. Instead, he understands that Christ died for these things. Therefore, he's forgiven in Christ, and God relates to Paul like he relates to all of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior. He relates to us the way in which Christ has lived in our place. So instead of pushing us away, he invites us in. And so Paul has this God-centered view. He has this gospel-centered view of these people that he's writing this letter to. And so he has nothing but love and affection for these people because these people were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he recognizes that the grace of God is at work in them. If you're a Christian, God has shown you mercy and grace too. He doesn't treat you the way you deserve to be treated. He saved you. He saved you in your sin. Scripture says, while you were yet enemies, Christ died for you. That's you. That's not the person sitting next to you. That's you. That's who you are. Once were lost, but now are found. Christ died for you and saved you and brought you into this right relationship. And the reason we're sort of dwelling on that at this moment is because that needs to inform how we think about one another. Because if we don't think about one another through that lens, it's going to be really hard to be grateful for people all the time. It's easy to be grateful for people when they're doing what we want them to do, isn't it? When when they don't mess up our lives. When we can say, we're doing this, and as long as they fall in line and they, they help us get there and they don't get in front of us like a roadblock, We're grateful, but as soon as somebody pulls us out of that line in the sense of what we want to do, what typically happens? The gratefulness kind of leaves, doesn't it? What we got to understand is we think about people that God's called us to live life together with in the context of the church, that we're brothers and sisters. We're all moving in that same direction. We're all heading there. We're all seeking to pick up a cross, follow Jesus, trusting in God to lead us. And sometimes we're going to collide. Sometimes we're going to start running this way and all of a sudden somebody's going to come out of nowhere and push us off course. And it's in those moments. It's in those moments where we're being confronted by Paul in this word right here is, is are we grateful for those people that God has called us to live life together with? Can we express this gratefulness for them? Or are we growing too familiar Going back to the hedonic adaptation. Just think about the people in this room for a moment. Are you grateful for the people in this room? Or have you grown familiar? Do you just sort of expect them to show up every Sunday? Expect them to do what you want them to do? When you look at them, is your heart filled with joy? 
that God's calling us to be grateful. So let's consider this question. Do you thank God for his grace in the lives of others? Or are you more aware of where they fall short? Maybe of your expectations. Or are you more aware of their own weaknesses? Maybe their own mistakes and their failures. I grew up playing sports. And it really is not a sport thing. It's just a life thing. But I grew up playing a lot of sports. And I learned to always sort of be looking for ways to grow. Maybe you guys can relate to that. Like John Piper wrote a book about it. Just learning. So when I think about a book like that, and I haven't read it yet, I just think, I like that stuff. I always want to be learning. And I, I'm calling my family to, to always be learning. And John Piper's calling us to always be learning. But in sports, I grew up in that, that mindset of like, always be learning. And by that, it was sort of like, what could you always be doing better? And so every time you played an event, you practice, or you, you got, I got in the car after a game, I'd, I'd sit in that car with my dad. And on the way home, guess what we did? And I'm not saying this is bad, but we did this a lot, is, is we'd get in the car and we'd just review, what could you have done better? We review failures. And, and part of that is you've got to do that stuff sometimes, but, but over time what that does is it can condition us to, to only look for those things. And what this might look like is you might show up to community group and instead of rejoicing in all that God had done in that community group, you're just aware that whoever brought snacks didn't bring it. And by the way, that was the third time they did it. Or you're walking away and it was a good conversation, but you missed it because all you could think about was how your community group leader didn't ask the right question. And so we're always in evaluating mode, but we're missing, I think, in some ways, the temptation is to evaluate the right things. That's what Paul's trying to help us see here. We live in a fallen world. If we wanted to, we could pull every one of us, sit in the chair, and we could just go down the line and bring up every fault that everybody has. And it would be so discouraging, wouldn't it? But sometimes we do that. We do that with our kids. We just go down the list. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. You're not doing this. And then what it does in my heart as a dad is it doesn't create gratefulness for my kids. Or it doesn't create gratefulness for my community group or for gathering together on Sunday. And so what Paul does at the outset, and he's going to address their sins, is he does something helpful for us here. He says, look at the grace of God. See it. It's there. It has to be there. What do you mean it has to be there? Well, if God has saved you, then we know he's at work in you. And he will be at work in you until the day you die. And that's true, not just for you. It's true for your kids. It's true for your spouse. It's true for everybody that shows up and lives life here in sovereign grace. We're not perfect. Phil said we're ordinary, nothing really special about us. And the other side of that, I think what they were trying to teach us at the pastor's conference, but God's at work. And he's always at work. The question is, do you see it? Do you see God at work? Do you believe he's at work in your spouse right now? Or are you more aware of his failures or her failures? See, Paul says he can thank God for this church because God is at work. The grace of God is at work in these people. So here's what we're going to do to close out this first point, And we're going to kind of move on from this. But I want you to write down five people that you're thankful for right now. We're going to do something with this. So 
if, if you skip this, it's kind of like in college, you're going you're to be behind by the time we get to the end of this message. Okay? Just five people. Your spouse, if you're married, a kid, one kid. You can do two because I know some people struggle with just one, but we're going to do, well, we want to move it and have it more diverse than just my, my wife and my kids. I'm going to just assume that. And then three people that you do life together within the church, and one of those people have to be a difficult person. Okay? So for me, I'm picking Donnie Hoover. <laughs> just say it publicly. No, I love Donnie. He just happens to be sitting right there, and I'm left-handed. Okay, moving on. In our next point, we learn to give thanks to God for specific things. God is not just at work in our lives in a general way. God is at work in the details of our lives in specific ways that he equips us to know him, to treasure him, and to bring him glory here on earth. Okay, so God is at work, and it's not just in general ways. God is a God of the details. He's created all of these things. He cares about everything. There's no part of our lives or anybody else's life where God just says, I'm going to let that thing just unfold. I'm not going to do anything with it. God is sovereignly at work in all things. And we see this as Paul is specific in his thanksgiving for the Corinthians. Verse 5, he says that in every way... You were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Corinthians had been enriched in every way in Jesus. That's what Paul thinks. Honestly, if you haven't read Corinthians, read through Corinthians. And for him to say this is amazing because it's true. These people had been enriched in every way in Jesus. They literally had been made rich in Christ by the nature of their own salvation, by faith alone in Jesus Christ. It's made them rich. And that's true of all of us here today who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And we also see this was a gifted church. This was a gifted church. God had poured out many gifts upon the people in this church. Later in Corinthians chapter 12, he says this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so if you were to walk into this church, there would be a lot of gifts on display in this church. Now, they might have been using them to divide one another, but they were gifted. Okay, you get the point. Paul, Paul's looking out and he's trying to give thanks to God for this church because the grace of God is active in the church. And he's just saying, you're a rich church. God's at work. You're gifted. You have gifts. You have a lot of gifts. And it's reason to give thanks to God. And so he's not addressing how they're using them. He's just saying, you got them. You have them. And God's at work. And so we're going to give thanks to God for them. The problem was that they were taking these gifts for granted. 
And they were forgetting that they were gifts from God. And so they grew too familiar with them. They had that hedonic adaptation. It was alive and well in the church. And instead of giving thanks to God for these gifts, they, they were using these gifts to kind of divide the church. But Paul doesn't lose sight. See, Paul doesn't lose sight of the fact that God is the one who has blessed these people, that God's the one who's at work in them. Again, later he's going to correct them, but right now he's just wanting them to sit in the blessings of God. He's wanting to redirect their gaze from issues and problems to just be amazed at the grace of God. Because God is always at work. So when you think about this church, or if you're visiting, if you think about your church, what, what do you think about first? If it's true that we're just an ordinary church with an ordinary pastor and we're sort of insignificant and there's really nothing special in and of ourselves about us, there's, there's going to be a temptation to see a lot of issues, right? You could do this better, like starting with our facility. I love our place. It's a gift from God. Could we do better? Sure. We do better in a lot of areas. But, but again, what do you see when you think about the people in your community group? What, what are you most aware of? Do you even know how God's blessed them? Or are you aware of just the flaws? See, that's what Paul's doing here. He's drawing our attention, readers' attention, away from issues to the grace of God that's at work in them. It appears as if the Corinthians had moved on too quickly in what Paul is doing. Again, I think what God's doing for us, just redirecting us back to God just being at work. His mercy and His grace. One of the main reasons Paul's specifically thanking God for these gifts are that these gifts, they testify to the fact that Jesus Christ dwells in them. Even though this church wasn't acting like genuine believers sometimes, the reality was they were actually believers. They were actually disciples of Christ, seeking to pick up a cross and follow him. So if you're a Christian and you know other Christians, here's what Paul's sort of teaching us here, is that there is much to give specific thanks to God for. And the emphasis here is on specific. I think sometimes it's easy to be general. Lord, I thank, I thank God for my wife. She's a great wife. Well, what is it about it that makes your wife great? Or, Lord, I, I thank God for my friends and my community group leaders. And I'm not saying don't do that. I just think there, there's a lesson being taught here is to identify, okay, God, where are you really at in my community group? Where are you really at in this person's life or my spouse's life or my, my kids' lives? And to give specific thanks to God for his work in their lives. And I think one of the things it does for us is it helps to train us to really have a God-centered view. And to really pick up our cross and follow Christ and really believe the gospel that these relationships are built upon that and that we grow in our faith, not primarily because we're good at doing something, but because the grace of God is at work in us. And so we do work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but why? Where's my man, Ricardo? Why do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Because God's at work in us. And so we recognize that, and that's when we give specific thanks to God for the grace of God at work in people. It glorifies God, and I would say it enables us 
to stay gospel-centered in our relationships with one another. So one way to think about applying this text, this section, is to sit down and intentionally think about those. And so remember we wrote down five people? So hopefully you did that because you'd be getting behind about this moment. And so what I want you to do right now, I'm going to give you a minute, is just jot something specific down next to those names. And by that I mean specific evidences of grace. Don't write out a sentence because we don't have time for that. It's just something to jog your memory where you say this. I'm thankful to God because I see God at work in this person's life in this way. This takes work. I'm going to talk while you're writing, okay? Because from my experience, it takes a lot of work. There's a practice that I've learned is, is this over time because I can grow bitter. I can grow ungrateful for the people that God has placed in my lives. And one of the things that the Lord brings me back to in moments like that is, is just this practice. Being grateful, being reminded that God is always at work. And even though I can't see God at work in this person's life, the reality is this person's saved. And God has not left them, but he's actually at work in them. Therefore, there's got to be something. And so God helps me grow in gratefulness as I get to see evidences of grace in their life. So write something specific down. So we're going to do something with that in just a quick second here. Be specific. And in our final point, we learn that we can thank God because he's faithful. Number three, give thanks to God because he's faithful. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. Samuel Saldivar wrote an article, The Faithfulness of God. In it, he defines the faithfulness of God by this. He says, the faithfulness of God means God is unchanging in his nature. True to his word. Has promised salvation to his people and will keep his promises forever. He is worthy of eternal trust, no matter how unlikely his promises seem. Nothing in heaven or on earth can prevent God from accomplishing all that he has promised his people through Jesus Christ. This reliability of God should be a great source of comfort and strength for God's people as they repeatedly fail and go through trials and suffering. God is faithful, isn't he? Just think about your own life for a moment. Are you at the same place that you began your faith? I'd probably say no, right? Because God's bringing you along. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. He's going to always accomplish his good purposes. And if he tells us he's the one at work in us, then he's the one at work in us. He's the one at work in your spouse. He's the one at work in your kids. He's at work in all of our lives. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's always faithful. We always have a reason to give thanks because we know that God is always at work. You see, this church exists because of him, not because of me or Phil or any pastor before us. It's because of the faithfulness of God. Our church walks through different seasons, some good seasons, some difficult seasons like any other church. And what we see is that God is faithful. He's always faithful. Is he not? 
gives us reason to not only rejoice, but to give thanks to God in specific ways for specific people that he's placed in our lives. And so that's how we're going to end our meeting today is I want us to practice this. So we're going to break up into groups of four or five. You can just stay with families. And so that, those five people and those five specific things, they're just going to pray and give thanks to God for his evidence of grace in those people. Can we do that? And I'll come back up and close this here in a few minutes. You can move your chairs around. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for being good, gracious, merciful, patient, holy, loving God. We thank you for giving your only son, Jesus, to die on a cross in our place to save us. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. We thank you for the hope of eternal life. We thank you for your spirit that you pour out upon us richly. We thank you that we are rich in Christ. And we thank you for the friendships that we have because of Jesus. Thank you for the local church and the way in which you're at work. You're not just our church, but all the local churches around You gather your people for a mission to know Jesus and make disciples of Jesus, that we might worship you, Heavenly Father. We thank you that you don't leave us alone, but you're always at work in our lives and that your grace abounds. We thank you that we're, we're not sort of walking around in the dark. But you've given us your word. You've spoken to us throughout every page of Scripture. Lord, we thank you for this. And Lord, as we leave here today, we ask that you would continue to pour out your Spirit upon us and you would fill our hearts with great joy and great thanksgiving as we consider who you are, a faithful God. Lord, we ask that you would continue to be faithful in our lives. Continue to accomplish your good purposes. Lord, give us a vision for what that looks like. With great hope to continue to run this race with great faith. Lord, having that God-centered view. But we need you. We need you to accomplish your purposes. And we trust that you will. So we say thank you. And lead us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Thanks for praying. May the Lord bless you. May you have a great Thanksgiving. And then I have five books to give away, so I'll be handing them out. So have a blessed Sunday.